There's been no president that feels more strongly about the Second Amendment than I do. However, we need meaningful background checks. One week after mass shootings here in Texas and Ohio, new calls for action on guns. This morning, Congressman Mark Vesey joins the conversation. Plus, we're sitting down with North Texas mayors to find out what's happening in your city. Today, it's the future of Frisco. It's going to bring Frisco to a national stage, very much like the Dallas Cowboys did with the star. This is Lone Star Politics from NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News. Good Sunday morning, everyone. I'm Brian Curtis with Rudy Bush from the Dallas Morning News. Gromer Jeffers has the morning off, and we'll hear from Julie Fine coming up just a bit later. We begin this morning with a call for action on bills that would strengthen background checks. More than 200 mayors all across the country, including several here in North Texas, are urging Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to schedule a vote on bills passed by the House months ago. Joining us now to weigh in on the debate and other topics, North Texas Democratic Congressman Mark Fesey. Thanks so much yeah, for being absolutely. here. We Good appreciate to see you. Good to see you. So we've had El Paso and Dayton. Right. Just the latest right. mass shootings. I could rattle off the whole list, but I won't. It right. would take too long. Absolutely, it would. Has anything changed? Is this a point? Does this feel different in any way in terms of getting action? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that feels different to me as a legislator, and of course when I come back, uh, to Dallas and Fort Worth and when, I, and when I'm home and I'm out and about and I'm shopping or uh, I'm going to neighborhood events and what have you, the, the biggest difference now is that even Republicans, even people that have pretty much voted straight Republican their entire life, they're saying people don't need automatic assault weapons. Uh, we need to do more to strengthen background checks and that action needs to be taken. And they're saying that they think, and they're saying that the NRA doesn't, you know, re really represent their views on guns. And these are people that are gun owners. And I think that uh, people that live out in the suburbs, people that live in, uh, in, in the surrounding areas, as, as well as people that live like in the city, uh, here in the Metroplex, want to see immediate action uh, on the two bills that we passed in the House. And they're waiting for Mitch McConnell to do something. People understand that, that this is really critical at this point. Now, we saw that uh, after Las Vegas, the fight against uh, uh, the, the, the legislation that outlawed bump stocks. Right. We've seen now some talk about red flag laws, as well as the president discuss even much deeper background checks right. for uh, potential gun owners or for gun sales. Have you seen legislation that you think could get through Congress? If so, what parts do you like and what, what don't you like? Yeah, well, you know, we've, we've passed legislation in the House. We passed, we passed enhanced background checks. We passed a bill that would uh, make it to where if someone, like in the case of Charleston, if the FBI records did not show uh, and weren't clear that the person did not have a criminal or mental health background issue, uh, that they could not be sold a gun. Of course, you know, that guy in Charleston, he ended up uh, killing nine people at the African-American church or the AME church in Charleston. Uh, and had that loophole been closed, he would not have been able to do that. Uh, also, uh, private gun sales, gun shows, uh, we have a bill that will close the loophole. Right now, you can go into the, uh, into the convention center in downtown Fort Worth and you can go and buy a gun at one of these gun shows without a criminal background check. Uh, it is absolutely ridiculous. And so we passed a bill that would, that would make that because if, in a lot of these shootings, as you notice, 
these people have been buying these guns legally in many cases. We saw it in Sutherland Springs. We saw it in Charleston. Uh, we saw it here with a man in Allen that went to El Paso. Mm -hmm. we, ha we, we have to tighten that up. Is it going to be perfect and solve every mass shooting? No, but if we can make it difficult uh, for people to commit the crimes and these atrocities like we've seen here recently, uh, then it's worth it. We need to get the bills passed in the Senate that we've already passed in the House, and they need to get to President Trump's desk, and they need to get signed. These bills that have passed in the House already, right. did they go far enough, or do you want more? Uh, I think that it's a good start. I think that there are several things that we can do uh, to make sure that, that, that people are safe. Uh, the one thing that I would like to see is that we need to have a database of guns that are stolen or missing. Uh, right now, oftentimes people will have their guns stolen, they won't report them to the police, and we have absolutely no idea what's out there. Remember, most of the shootings uh, that, uh, that, that we see that take place uh, in personal disputes between people, uh, those are, are, are you know, small caliber guns, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yet they can still cause a lot of damage, and many of them are bought on the black market, we have no idea how many of these guns are out there. There are estimates, uh, but I think that we need to also have a law to make it to where uh, if you have a gun that's missing or stolen, there needs to be some sort of accountability uh, for that firearm. And I think that, that uh, again, the assault weapons ban, I think that it's, that it's time that we pass that. Again, it's not just Democrats that are asking for this. If you go and you talk to anybody on the street out there, they will tell you that, no, we need to pass something. Does everybody that own an assault weapon are they going to, to go out and commit a mass shooting? Absolutely not. Most of the people that own assault weapons are not going to do that. But just a, all it takes is a handful of people to be able to get their hands on one of these machines and they can cause a great amount of killing, a great amount of damage. And it really gets to the psyche of the American uh, public. I know that after I saw what happened in El Paso, particularly as a, as a, as a black man, and that was uh, violence that was directed uh, towards the Latino community, but as a black man, just thinking about uh, a lot of the animosity that, that we've seen uh, towards people of color. I mean, that, that, that rattled me. That made me think about me and my family when we go out to go shopping. Uh, and I'm sure that it had the same sort of effect on everybody else out there. Uh, and again, it doesn't take that many to be able to get their hands on one of these assault style weapons uh, to really scare people uh, and, and really start to shake up the fabric of, of American society here and what it means uh, in terms of personal safety. 300 million guns in the country right, right now. Uh, plenty of ammunition and right. uh, the, the clips and other things that go with weaponry. Is it too late? to have uh, legislation that you would think it would be effective in preventing the next shooting? I don't think that any piece of legislation is going to be perfect. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, we haven't, you know, there are drugs that get into this country every day that we don't want to be able to, to come into this country. No piece of legislation is going to be perfect. Uh, but again, when you look at the fact that many of the mass killings that we've seen, have these weapons have been purchased legally uh, and so, again, we, we need to do something. We need to show the American public that we're taking this seriously and that we're taking actions to make it harder for people to be able to obtain these weapons. No law is going to be, going to be perfect, but if we can make it more difficult, if, me, if we can make it harder, uh, then perhaps someone will be able to go in and, and rethink something very drastic uh, and very violent that, that they're about to do and, and, and end up not committing the crime. That's the, at least we would have that, and right now, uh, we have nothing, and I think that that's unacceptable to the American public. 
I want to ask you about immigration. Yeah. We had these massive yeah. ICE raids in Mississippi. What's your take on what's going on there? Yeah, I thought that was terrible for families to be separated like that. And it just uh, shows me that we really need to pass comprehensive immigration reform. Um, I had a, a group of uh, uh, people from the Dallas Chamber of Commerce and one of the immigration groups come by my office to talk with me about the importance from the, uh, from the uh, family side of the issue and the business side of the issue on why immigration reform is so uh, important. And when you see these families ripped apart uh, like this, uh, it's, it's devastating. And, it, and, and for those 700 family members that are going to be separated from their loved ones that are still in Mississippi, it's going to be economically devastating and emotionally devastating for uh, uh, those families. And it's gonna be economically devastating for that town. Uh, because those are 700 workers that that, that company had that, that were productive, that were honest, uh, that were doing uh, everything that they were uh, that they needed to do to fit into society there, working hard, and they've been uh, uprooted like that. If you look at the Texas economy, were it not uh, for immigrants, including undocumented immigrants, we would not have the economy that we have here in North Texas today. We had over a million people uh, between 2010 and now come to the Metroplex. We're one of the fastest growing areas in the entire country. Uh, and a lot of that growth is fueled because of the productivity of immigrants, including undocumented immigrants. People need to get realistic about this. Uh, this could be devastating for uh, our entire country and our economy if we continue to see things like this. And more importantly, for, to have families uh, uprooted and separated like that, young people, young children, minors, separated from their mothers and, and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers is just unacceptable. So we, we need to take action on immigration. We need to pass a, a comprehensive bill uh, as soon as we get back. Lot to talk about. Yeah. Come back and see us again. Lot. Thank yeah. you for your time. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Thank you. From the Cowboys World Headquarters to a massive PGA development, Frisco continues to grow. Still ahead, the mayor joins us to talk about what's next for the Collin County Boomtown. Plus, campaign speeches and corny dogs. Julie joins us from Iowa, where the Democratic presidential hopefuls are working the crowds at the State Fair. I believe that there are many folks here who will be ambassadors of this campaign, who will spread a good word throughout Iowa, because y'all go first. This weekend in Iowa, presidential candidates are trying to win over the first in the nation caucus goers. Julie Fine traveled to the Iowa State Fair and she joins us now. Hi, Julie. Good to see you. Good to see you, Brian and Rudy. Thanks so much for holding down the fort for us. Uh, happy to do it. Um, listen, I want to start out by asking you about the, the tradition and the significance of the Iowa State Fair. Why is this so important? Why do we care so much about it? It's so important because virtually every candidate comes to the fair. They have the Des Moines Register political soapbox. They each get 20 minutes to talk there. They get tons of national publicity. I mean, Secretary Julian Castro was there this morning. There had to be 40 cameras following him around. So it's really a must stop when you're running for president. It's even bigger this year because there are so many Democrats that want to clinch that nomination. Now, Julie, we know that Representative Beto O'Rourke is not there in Iowa. As I understand it, he's in El Paso. And I, I, I understand that, that there's a good bit of conversation going on about what happened in El Paso and Dayton. And I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of what you're hearing there. 
Well, it was interesting because somebody asked Secretary Castro today, why wasn't he in El Paso with Representative O'Rourke? And his response was, Representative O'Rourke is in the right place. That's his hometown. But as far as he was concerned, he said they didn't need politicians. They needed actions on gun safety. So there is a lot of discussion about it. But Representative O'Rourke made the decision to not come this year. He felt it was more important for him to be in his hometown. In terms of the campaign, Julie, does this hurt Beto O'Rourke by not being there, not being on the ground in Iowa right now? You know, it's really hard to say. I will say this, though. Representative O'Rourke has really focused on Iowa. He's been here many times. The news cycle moves very quickly. He's getting attention and press where he is right now. So he's still in the public eye to some degree. But again, this is where all the Democrats are this weekend. So, so Julie, it's so, so hard at this early stage to get a sense of what degree of separation candidates are getting. Uh, are you getting any sense in Iowa of who might be getting a little bit of traction? You know, it's really hard to tell because every candidate has a big group around them when they speak on the soapbox here. But every candidate knows they have to do well here. You've got to gain traction in Iowa because if you do poorly in the Iowa caucuses, it's very hard to move forward. You need that momentum. So it's very clear that the candidates have to do well here. And that's why they're here this weekend. We're looking at video right now of uh, former president, Vice President Joe Biden sampling some of the, the fair food, which I know you have to do when you're a candidate in Iowa. I thought it was interesting, Julie, that Andrew Yang got a little bit of traction, enough to hit that 2% mark in the polls, and now he's qualified for these fall debates, thanks to Iowa. Yeah, he, he has qualified, and we actually saw him. He spoke today after Secretary Castro, and he talked about that, and he thanked people in Iowa. But again, he needed that 2% in order to move forward. Secretary Castro does not have that yet. We talked to him about that several times since he's been here. He says he's confident that he will make it. He's made it in terms of donors. He has not made it in terms of polls. He has to be in four polls above 2%. He's only in three now. He knows how important it is. We asked him what happens if he doesn't make it. He said he'll continue to move on because there are debates in October. But yes, candidates here know they have to get the numbers in order to be there in September. All right, we have big techs. They, we have the butter cow there. Have you seen the butter cow? I have to be honest. We were <laughs> rushing to get here. I have not seen the butter cow yet. But I can't imagine leaving Iowa and not seeing the butter cow. I have not seen it yet, actually. Right. I did see a lot of cows today. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> get there. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much. We'll look forward to your updates from the trail in Iowa. All right, thanks. Still ahead, Frisco Mayor Jeff Cheney joins us. We'll ask him what's next for one of the fastest growing areas of North Texas, and the nation for that matter. Stay with us. Joining us now, the Mayor of Frisco, Jeff Cheney. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah. It seems like everything in Frisco relates to growth That's these right. days. It has been absolutely blistering. Where are you on growth in Frisco? Do you see it accelerating? Do you see it decelerating? Where, what's going on? Yeah, we're used to fast growth here in Frisco. Um, we're the fastest growing city in the country, have been for nearly a decade, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. In fact, this new PGA of America project coming to Frisco that's breaking ground later this month, um, actually I think is gonna ignite the whole northern part of our city. So it's coming fast and furious at us, but it's uh, not slowing down. 
So, so even as we're seeing what could be regional and national economic cooling, you don't feel like that's going to happen in Frisco. How do you balance that sense of constant growth mm -hmm. with maybe a region that isn't keeping up with you quite so, quite so much? Yeah, we're right in that pathway of growth. I mean, Plano saw it over the last decade you know, with all their corporate relocations, and now those corporate relocations are looking at Frisco. Um, and so every major relocation that's in the market right now is looking at Frisco. Um, and so you know, the 10-mile stretch of that Dallas North Tollway um, is going to be where the epicenter of growth is for the whole region really over the next five years. The state legislature in the last session, they changed the formula mm -hmm. here yes. for taxation. Mm -hmm. They made it a little more challenging for you. Mm -hmm. How are you coping with that? What's your approach there? You know, we're going through our budget process right now. Um, so um, that did certainly put limitations on cities. You know, we argued that cities like Frisco are very successful and they're successful for a reason. And so we didn't want to be handcuffed with those types of parameters. But we're working with the hand that we're dealt. And so we're already thinking through that. The good thing about Frisco is we have a very diverse tax base from tourist dollars to sales tax to commercial property values. So it's easier for us to manage budgets maybe than other cities. What are the fast growth city, the, the mistakes that fast growth cities have made that Frisco has learned from and that you're applying now to sort of make the city great long term? Well, we're trying to create unique experiences throughout the community. We don't want every development to be like the other. And so we're very um, conscious about that. So you have um, the Star Project and Stonebar Mall. You have the center part of our city that's going to be Grand Park and a historical rail district. And then now we have our eyes set on the northern part of our city, which is going to have great views and open space with the PGA of America project and the Fields project. Um, so really diversifying that. Um, we're known as Sports City USA, so we had that niche, but we're trying to round out to be arts and cult cultural based and try to bring live music and entertainment projects. And so that'll be our next push here over the next five years. Talk to me a little bit more about how game changing the PGA development is. Well, we anticipate that to have two and a half billion dollars of economic impact over the next 20 years. And so it's changed how the city's going to develop. I mean, we thought the city of Frisco would develop marching up the tollway. Um, now that 380 corridor will develop first. So every piece of property out in that 2,500 acres is actually being looked at right now by some developer. So we'll develop north first and then kind of grow back to our middle. Um, so it's really changed um, everything. But the thought of having a PGA championship in Frisco, Texas, a Ryder Cup in Frisco, Texas, and really being the home of the sport of golf in the entire country is going to let Frisco play on not just a national but an international stage. Now, one of the things that I know happens for cities is when you reach a certain point, you start to deal with big city problems, whether sure. that's infrastructure or crime or homelessness, or I know that there were some <clears throat> scooters actually <laughs> on the streets of downtown Frisco, which we deal with a lot in downtown Dallas. Talk a little bit about facing those things. Are, are you feeling those big city uh, uh, difficulties? Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see that and plan for that. Um, we're one of the safest communities in the entire country, but we know that we have to stay vigilant on that to remain safe. Um, we're getting a lot more high-rise structures in our city, and so we have to train differently. So we just opened a fire training center for our firefighters to be able to train in those kinds of environments. So really trying to stay on that leading edge, but really trying to learn from our neighbors. Um, and so we spend a lot of time with our neighboring communities as far as if they had a chance to do it over again, what would they do different? And Frisco so, Mayor Jeff Cheney. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Come see us again. Thank you. And good luck managing all that growth. Thank you. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining us. Julian Grover will be right back here next Sunday morning.